<laughs> you never um, know when he sucks recording. So what sort of stuff are you... Did you write some notes down? Or are we just going to... I did, and I forgot to bring them. Perfect. All right. Well, yeah, perfect. So good morning, everyone. Morning. We are uh, here at Nutter for our third episode of our podcast. We have a title. <laughs> What's the title it's now? It's called <laughs> Failure Dash the Podcast. Which, which we would say Failure. The yep. podcast. We say failure the podcast. It's an M dash. You can also find it online at failurethepodcast.com. But if yeah. you're listening, you already found it. Yeah. That's right. That's true. That's right. But it's tell true. your friends. And we're preaching uh, to the choir. Why do we have the dash in there? What's that for? That's, a, that's an M dash. It's a pause. Failure oh, the wow. podcast. Yeah. All right. We could have put a semicolon, but it would have looked odd. Mm. And a comma went quite have done the trick. Or it could have been a question mark. Failure? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever failed? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my so name is Ziad Mukaber. I'm the CEO of Boston Harbor Angels, and I'm here with great friends and a very special guest. Who's that? <coughs> Our good friend, Mick Williams. I Mick, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, and I'm so flattered to be here. <laughs> this is an exceptional, exceptional, beautifully day, beautiful day here it in is. Boston. It is. And... Um, so who's the guy down here in purple that nobody so, can see because they're only listening? Yeah, the best-looking guy. I have, <laughs> I have a face for podcasting. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> my name is Mark Thurman, True. and there's a, another oh, gentleman yeah, one sitting more, here. Yeah, yeah, so I'm Dave Pausner. I am a partner down here at Nutter. Uh, what do you do we're recording here at Nutter? What do I do? I actually don't do much, but they let me use this room, and I can do podcasts occasionally. <laughs> but when I'm not doing that, I do IP law. So, so Mick, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a very, very interesting man. I know that because I work with you, and you have an amazing career. So tell us a little bit about your career, where it started, or how far do you want to go back? Well, when you get to be my age, it goes back a long ways, and uh, we'd lose most of the audience if I went through step by step. But I've had some failures early on in life that were noteworthy. Had some failures later in life, which are noteworthy, and I'm still continuing to fail at Boston Harbor Angels, <laughs> although we've had four big knocked-it-over-the-fence exits, which makes Boston Harbor Angel really worthwhile. It's Carbonite, and what are the other three? Well, we have one called Smart Cells, okay, and then we have Corbus, which okay. is uh, still publicly traded um, on NASDAQ, and then we have one that uh, we... It's an amazing story about a company from Andover called Eris. And Eris is a, a company that we thought was a failure. And mm-hmm. um, I've been in it for 10 years, and we just had Silver Lake, a large private equity company, put in uh, $49 million oh, and at a $200 million valuation. And wow. we're in at uh, $2 million. So... I don't know how to calculate because our shares, there's no offer for our preferred shares, but it's not a failure. It looks to me like that could be a big winner. Is that A-R-R-I-S? A-R-A-S. And it's Life Cycle Management Software, and they've got every household name uses their stuff. So how do you know that uh, an investment is officially a failure, as one of our friends called it? When do you declare the time of death? And is it when they actually shut down, or is it as an investor you say, I'm done, I'm counting them as my fail- as a failure in my portfolio? Well, there's an interesting story from time past told by Herodotus, Herodotus about... He's uh, one of those uh, Greek guys? Yeah, Croesus and Solon. And yep. Croesus was the wealthiest man in the world by far, and he said, hey, I'm the happiest guy in the world, and uh, you, who could be better than me? And who could have a better life than I? And and Solon said, well, you know, there's a number of people that may have a better life than yours. And he says, well, how do you know? He says, well, they've died. And he says, the only way you can really judge if you've been a success in, in your life is when you die. Because the fickle fate and fortunes of circumstance and happenstance, um, That's the fickle finger of fate for those of you from the 60s. Yeah. The, yeah, uh, and then you always say, I've heard you say many times, good things could happen to bad companies and bad things could happen to good companies. I, that sounds really astute. I probably did say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they, see, So tell us, if you were to think about a, a, a good story of an investment that now you regret, or you look back and say, well, this company failed, maybe it wasn't good investment in retrospect. 
Well, you have to measure these things very carefully. And as, as Solon said, you know, when they're really dead, then they might be dead. Sometimes they come back to life. But I've had a bunch that are deader than a doornail right now. And there's lessons to be learned from all of them. But they're not lessons that you could carve in stone because everything is fungible. But I think that when you invest in a failure at the angel level, you, you can't fail because what you're doing is you're putting food on somebody's table. You're, they're buying computers. They're selling, doing something. They're putting stuff in the economy. So those are not really failures. But I have a bunch of them that never gave me any return on my investment. I, I want to interrupt. I want to step back. I feel like this you, is you the, always want to say that. I do, just for, I do. You're all, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because you're going. I reverse engineer, and you start from the beginning. So I yeah, know no, this is a podcast on failure, but it's just it hard is, for me to. It is. Well, let's let's start at the beginning, which is I don't think that of all. Now we're up to what six six uh, listeners, of all the folks out there who subscribe. And actually, I'm joking. There are many more than that. But of all the folks that are subscribing, I suspect only double digits. Yeah, I think I suspect of all the folks out there. Only a fraction of them understand angel investing. And um, Ziad, you do, obviously. Mark, you do. I do to an extent. Uh, Mick certainly does. And I think that I think that the uh, listeners deserve a sort of background in what angel investing is all about. We don't really have to make this. Uh, we need to do, you know, I think, David, I'll interject in your interjection. Yeah. We need to do three things, I think, to set the, set the table. Yeah. We t- have to talk about you a little bit more. Why you're an important character in the in this story? Talk a little bit more about BHA. Why yeah, they're yeah. an important. What is yeah. BHA? Yeah, well, that's well, the question. That's, yeah, no, that's the Housing, housing Authority. authority. No, no. Yeah, 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 no, that's so, great. So let's talk about that, and then and then you can kind of scoot under and say, and you know, we're a symptom of what angel investing is all about. So, Mark, I agree. So I, I do agree with you because nobody knows that, and we so we ought to capture. So let me let's start with yeah, start with Mick. Oh, you want to start with timeout, I think, for those people listening in the yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, we can technical foul. We can start with Mick. That's a great. Okay, that's great. So, Mick, go back and tell us you were initially in real estate. Um, Yes, but I was always making dabbling in foolish things. Where somebody on the golf course says, "Hey, so and so is investing in this. It's really cool, and you ought to get on it." But what did you do in real estate? Was it real estate investment, or is all real estate investment? I was in the brokerage business with Coal Banker, which was a commercial brokerage company, and started in Los Angeles and Arizona, then New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey. And uh, so, in the brokerage business, we would broker. But I started buying buildings when I was in my twenties, uh, industrial buildings, and I liked old and ugly, and so. I wanted to be the low-cost provider on the block, and uh, so I bought the oldest and ugliest things. And there wasn't a lot of demand for everybody likes housing, but you know, industrial properties nobody really understood. I happened to understand them, and I liked them a lot. When was this? This would be back in the seventies. Okay, was this straight out of college? Uh, no, I had been out of college for a few years before. Okay, I but still got to the seventies. But I'm not going to cut on. you open and count the rings. Don't worry. No, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, the idea is is that um, I, I invested in real estate and did well in those. Uh, everything else I invested in, I did poorly in, and I, you know, it was because I didn't really understand what I was doing, and I really bet because somebody else had that I thought was smarter than I was. So when I figured out that that was not a way to do it, I started Boston Harbor Angels, because then I had a whole bunch of really smart guys to help me make investments. And did you start Boston Harbor Angels as such, or was it that that was that Koretsu thing? We started out as the as a branch or a, a adjunct to the Koretsu Forum, which was out of Northern California. Okay, <clears throat> and we did that for about a year, and that model didn't work very well here, um, so we changed to Boston Harbor Angels. So, what was Koretsu? What was Koretsu? Or is Koretsu still around? It's yeah. Koretsu uh, Forum is an angel company that is a their their landmark is that they charge companies a lot of money to present. And I don't. I'm not opposed to that model, but it was very hard to pull off here. <coughs> when in here, everybody's giving away for free. Uh, to charge for it was very difficult. So that model didn't really work in Boston. What got you to angel investing, which is what Koretsu was all about also, and eventually BHA? Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really happenstance. Again, I was uh, 
a friend of mine from Portland, Oregon, calls me and said, meet me in San Francisco. I want to show you this company that I really think is cool and it's really neat and it sounded like fun. It was a home security thing. And I said, so I flew to San Francisco, and the, they were happy to be performing. <coughs> they happened to be at the uh, Koretsu Forum, and there were five companies presenting at that meeting. And I, I said, gee, you know, these other four sound even better than this other one. And so what's interesting about angel investing is, is if you see one, two, or three deals a year, which most everybody sees three or four deals a year somewhere, they don't know how to compare them, don't know how to weigh them, don't know how to measure them, and so therefore you're really dealing in a vacuum. But when you see hundreds of deals a year or a hundred deals a year, you have a lot better perspective of what's out there. And we at Boston Arbor Angels, we see 80 companies face-to-face a year in our screening meeting, and then we see 40 uh, in the second tranche coming into our full our full angel group. So... We see a lot of companies. Going back to basics, I mean, you can interrupt, but I just feel like there's all this territory and ground, all this ground that we all know that anyone listening will know. Again, most listeners will not know much about angel investing. So, so uh, well, can I can I interrupt yeah. the interrupting? Yeah, yeah. You right. can we do have that. to keep track right. of who's actually. Yeah, yeah. We, have, yeah we have a we yeah. have a list of who's interrupting. The, the, the first. I, I think that people try to make <laughs> angel investing mystical and complicated and whatever. If you bought your kid a bicycle, you're an angel investor. For his paper route. If you bought lemons for the lemonade stand, you're an angel investor. All it means is you're putting money into an early stage, high risk situation. Maybe paper routes are not that risky. Lemonade stands can be risky. If nobody comes by, you know, you can't sell lemonade. So anyway, angel investing is, is just investing in early stage companies and ideally you do it for a profit, but you want to help the people that are the angels, the angels want to help the people that are in the new businesses. So I think you can cut and dice it and say organized angel groups. You can say, you know, groups of more than one angel. There's all kinds of different ways to do it, but I, I simply it's just basically early stage investing. And what dollar figure typically for angel investing? I, I think it's unlimited. I mean, it's the smallest to the largest. It could be anything. And so that's what, angel what investing. The company agrees to take... To accept your money and you're there for them at the Well, that's, that's it. That's at the organized angel level. At, uh, you know, if somebody comes, if your cousin comes to you and said, look at, I got a harebrained scheme that I've been working on in my garage and you put money in it, that's an angel investment. Right. And don't do that, by the way. Your brother-in-law is nuts. And, uh, I, well, you knew that. Yeah. So, well, so I just had one, I'd agree. Yeah, but okay, but that, that's, that's easy to be sort of that loose with it. But in point of fact, what, in my, Minimal, my what five years of or seven years of watching this, I've seen angel deals tend to seem to be from about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. They could be less, but usually by the time a company's looking for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, they're they've also got, often gotten some money from friends and family, and then they're looking for next round. But angel investing, to my my limited experience, is sort of that two fifty or five hundred thousand dollars up through a few million dollars. And at some point, there may be a second round, but that first round of sort of serious money, that's sort of 500000 plus or minus. Well, David, your experience has been with an organized angel group. Yes. There's a lot of very loose organi- organizations, five guys that, you know, be, meet at their poker party, and they have a deal, and they all invest in it. That's angel investing, too. Or, di- or an individual, just. Yeah, I mean, individuals, know, too. I mean, there's no, the, the, there's the, no the, really the, limit to it. I think when you, when you talk about organized angel investing, the Boston Harbor Angels, we look at two fifty to five hundred thousand. We've raised a million in thirty days before, but I don't point to that as something we could do very often or very quickly, and I certainly wouldn't bet your house on that. So um, that's kind of what we do, and that's what you're familiar with, David. So therefore, you think that's where the sun rises and sets, which yes. is true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's where it sets. So how about how would you distinguish from venture capital or VC investing? Is that equally low amounts, or how does well, that fit in? No, no. The big difference in venture capital versus angel capital is angels my money, venture capital is I'm investing your money, which I like to do, but you don't want to give me any, so I'm not. <laughs> gonna, so I'm not going to do that. For okay, you. so you're saying VC or uh, venture capital investing is where. Uh, one or more people have put together money from a bunch of folks. That is, there's a, a bunch of dollars in there. It, there could be a whole fund, and money is carved off of that fund. Yes. For which there are a bunch of, what, they're limited partners or partners of some sort, 
and <clears throat> somebody is in charge of investing that money on behalf of the group. Venture capitals typically, and don't hold me this, but they put in 2 or 3% of what the fund is about. So, yes, they are investing alongside, but really small amounts, and they're taking uh, management fees and, um, and servicing fees along the way. Uh, we don't do that in the smaller angel groups necessarily. So I, I think it would be fair to say if I'm an entrepreneur and I start a company, I'd probably put in my own money, friends and family, uh, I've invented something great, whatever the heck that is. And by the time I come to an angel group, we've had some hopefully verifiable proof that this concept is somewhat not crazy. And I'm coming to an angel or an angel group and asking for my first outside money. Is that a, a fair uh, you know, It is very difficult to quantify and really to segment because uh, – what happens is is that we say we don't invest in science projects, but I've invested in science projects. I say we don't invest. We don't invest unless there's actually a customer who's paid money for the thing. No, I've done things like that too. So the rules are meant to be broken. And again, when you're dealing with really disruptive things, it's hard to say where's the model for this because there's no model for a disruptive thing because it's never happened before. So that's what's exciting about the angel business is because you're rolling the dice and taking a chance. And it's typically and, early. Yes. Very that's, early in the, in the, that's in the cycle. The, that's the, probably the biggest difference is if, uh, you know, people say, what would, you know, what would be a type of angel investor you like? Well, it'd be a bulletproof IP, you know, disruptive, huge, I mean, huge disruptive to a huge market. And lots of customers are willing to pay money for it. And a good team. And a great team. And, of course, they don't come to us because they're already off to the races. They, they don't need us at that point in time. So we try to help them with those things, right. with any number of those things, as far as management team, financing, um, strategy. Um, Connections. IP. David specs his time on IP for free, <laughs> always, and uh, that's we try to milk that. We try to milk that cow it's as often as possible. I think what now. you're getting at is that uh, your fellow or uh, you know gender non-specific fellow angel investors will often help donate their time. Will often donate time to help the group move the investment forward to do the due diligence and the like. So here's a question. Ziad, I know this is about Nick. I, and I'm waiting for my turn I to ask questions without know, interrupting. I know, but we're just so far away from that. But still. Where is Clack today? And Click is yeah. over here. Yeah. So, but I'm, new. I'm not sure which one of us is Click and which one of us is Clack, because I know Clack is sadly, sadly deceased. So you're fairly new to angel investing, Ziad. You're new as in two years or three years new to it. What would you say, um, not having been in it as long as Nick, how would you describe it you, as you tour the country and you talk to family well, offices? I've been like. watching Mick. That's one thing because I, he's considered the godfather of angel investing, and I think it's very simple. There's only one formula. It's the is founder, that gender specific? Godfather, the founder, the founder, the founder, God person. <laughs> it's the founder, the founder, the founder, the founder, and and however you spin it, it always goes back to. The, tea, the founding team, and and that's my question to Mick, which is a, a very interesting concept. When you make an investment and then it fails, <laughs> do you go back and think, I I had an inkling or or something in the process? Uh, uh, I saw something that could have led me to 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 know that this will not get to completion. <laughs> He will not let us go back to the beginning of this. <laughs> well, okay. you know, that's that's a good point. Okay. You know, it's like Monday morning quarterbacking or hindsight. You can always find, oh, yeah, I should have seen that right off the bat and whatever. But, you know, you want to believe in the good fairy or else you wouldn't be in the angel business. And you really want to believe in people. Now, the, the sociopath is a, is a frightening guy in the angel business because they'll tell you what you want to hear and, and they're convincing. Um, but... Uh, you know, the, the the leadership is so critical, and as I get further down the line, after doing this for, probably done it for 40 years, but the really organized angel investing for 15 or so, it really is about the people. And um, 
you know, you say, if this guy raises a flag, will anybody salute? Or if he raises the banner, will somebody charge up the hill next to him like Teddy Roosevelt at San Juan Hill? And if you can't say, no, I don't think they would, then I think you have to look a little further, even though the concept and the idea may be great, it really takes a leader, and a team can take place, a good team can take place of a leader or help. Have you ever had an investment that worked with a lousy CEO? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay, I rest my case. Yeah. That's no so I'll go back to the historical. Uh, well, uh, well, but sometimes you don't know they're lousy until you get right in the middle of it. Well, yeah, I know we're jumping around, but that's okay. Yeah. Bear with it. So I guess what it comes down to is, again, in my limited experience with Boston Harbor Angels, we sit down twice a month and the companies present to us. And it's not just a random person at the company. It's the CEO usually. Not always, but usually. And that then, Mick, must be your first. That's your test. Is this a person who can, A, get money out of me? I mean, that's not how you're looking at it. Does it look like there's a market? Does this look like a leader, et cetera, et cetera? But what it comes down to is do I, am I willing to invest because I think this person can get money from other investors? Is that how you're measuring it? What's your measure of the man or the woman? Well, I first... And I keep falling back on this, is tell me a story. And how would that measure worked with Al Franken, by the way? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, bad, bad. He had to tell some great stories. Um, <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, tell me a story. And, you know, we come from a oral tradition, and storytelling is very important. And the CEO needs to capture you up in his story. And David Friend and is, is the best story I've ever heard, and I use it in my classes with students, and that is is that uh, David says he was sitting on the um, on the porch of his partner, Jeff Flowers, and his daughter called him up from New York. She was she had her thesis or whatever, and somebody would spilled a Coke on her computer, wiped out her hard drive, and so he said that was like, I knew there was something going on here. This and is then, the story behind Carbonite, by the way. Right, right. and then... Yeah. then Jeff Flowers' wife pulled in the driveway just almost at that instant, and she said, somebody broke a window in my car and stole my computer out of my car. And so, you know, Jeff and David sat down, and they thought about it. They said, you know, with the price of storage going down so fast, and Moore's Law coming into play, he says, I think we can back up all the computers and uh, and let people, and therefore people can back them up online, and we can do it through the Internet, if they have access to an Internet portal. So that's a story of Carbonite, and, and it's certainly, you can certainly identify with all those things. Computer crash, that was before ransomware. Well, wait a minute. Okay, so let's go back to the, let's, trying to go back to the, I think it was Ziad's question. That was so that's a, a good success, story. Though. That yeah. was a great success. But that was a great story, but how about, how did you measure David, how did you know that David Friend was going to be able to pull this off when you first Well, started? I actually cheated because I'd seen four other companies that he'd exited well. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so he's a good storyteller, but yeah. and he, he had, had four great four exits. exits. He had a great track <laughs> record. <laughs> okay, so that's a good test. Yeah. So tell us a story about a, a CEO who told a good story with no track record, and how did you then make your, how do you judge that sort of CEO? Oh, you want to get to the failure stuff. Yeah. Oh, would that be it? No, there's got to no, be some, yeah. there must what, be some success. Yeah, what company too. failed? What were the signs along the way? Well, the I don't, I'm not going to mention the company, but if you look back in our uh, history, and that's on our website, we have all the companies we invested in, there was one that was involved, it was a Facebook for dogs. I absolutely loved it. I thought this is the hottest thing. Everybody likes to show off their dog. And so you would put a picture of your dog on there and you'd identify the type it was or whatever. And then you would meet other dog lovers or other people for dog walks, for partying, for dog sitting, for all the things that people like to do with dogs. dogs yeah. And so you could meet dog friends, and it, I, mean, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely perfect, and I still think it's a great idea. Uh, but there was a lot of spoofing going on. I'd spoof my friends that had a Yorkshire, and I'd say it was a Bernese mountain dog. and you'd, <laughs> You could have a lot of fun with it. And so I was having a lot of fun with it, and we raised the money, and the CEO quit the day we raised, we closed the round. Yikes. And he says, my wife won't let me do it. 
<laughs> I have to go get a real job. I can't do it. So, so what are you do after that? We're saying, geez, you know, with your stock options, you know, you can keep them. Please, we need you. Don't leave. You know, stick around. Do something. Help us, please. And he says, no, I really, I can't. I can't. I mean, I'll be, give you advice, but I really can't be full time. He went to work for HubSpot. So it's a interesting story. He did okay, though. Yeah, I think he did fine, probably. He okay, was a very so smart that's guy. That's a story. There's a story. How about, are there any stories with a CEO who told a great story and did well with no track record? Um, I have to say I don't have one of those. Really? That um, we, you know, we have, there's lots of stories and they all have uh, iterations. Uh, we had a company called Corbus where we replaced the CEO and the founder uh, with a wonderful CEO executive, and I think everybody recognized that the CEO and the founder was not the right guy to take it to the next level. And so that's certainly one where we switched horses and made a, a great maneuver. And we've done a number of times we've come in and kind of asked the CEO to step aside, and that's happened. Huh. But the whole, the whole to, to go back to the founders and the psychology of the founders is to be able to to see if that person will stick around, if that person is persistent, <coughs> and uh, um, and and how it's by getting to know them that you can get that feel, whether they're trustworthy, they're loyal, they're dedicated. Well, I think the the thing that we missed on that one is we should have interviewed the family to make sure that the commitment was from the entire family and not from just the CEO. Oh, really? But how? I mean, how often are you going to interview a family? Well, you have to say, you know, is your wife on board with this? And I think, you know, we do sit down with the wives in, in social situations and say, yeah. how do you think about this? Oh, I'm really excited about this. And do I don't do mind. That? How do I, do I personally do that? Well, well, I mean, somebody in the due diligence yeah, team yeah, yeah. will often do that. I do that. that. I like yeah. to do that. And I yeah. like to have lunch with the founder one-on-one, yeah, exactly. on one, and to, I call it the lunch test. Mm-hmm. See how they do, seeing personal discussions. Yeah. Uh, it's important. Hmm. So a very close friend of mine um, became an ordained minister, and they do exactly that. The uh, folks in the in the uh, in the seminary want to meet the wife, and they want to sit down and say, "You know, this doesn't pay that well. (laughs) You're going to have a tough time." Are you talking about the Catholic Church? No, no. (laughs) Actually, congregational. (laughs) No, congregational. Congregational church. Very close friend of mine. and I remember, you know, his, his then wife, his, still his wife, they sat down and said, are you in on this? And they wanted, that was very important in that setting. So that's one of the, one, one, one way to mitigate failure, it would seem, if we're trying to assess how we, what we're learning from this, is whether it's a social thing, the lunch test, the, the wife test, the husband test, the partner test, is to sit down and make sure the family's all in. Because part of this podcast is to learn from failure and that's one thing you would learn i never would have thought of that yeah how often is that, how often has that happened where family got in the way mick looking back at well i years. don't know we've we've had a couple companies that were the well at least one situation where the husband's name was different than the wife's and the wife was the ceo of the company and we had a situation where a lot of investors dripped dropped out because they didn't want to see the husband and wife team uh, running a company uh, because they say, if you ever seen a divorce, you know, things don't you know, look good after the th- going gets tough. So a number of investors dropped out of a deal because of understanding that, not understanding on the front end, but understanding on the back end. So, yeah, so I've heard, yeah, I've heard that several mentions of that, which is if it's a husband-wife team, no go. What was that comment about different names? Did that, well, I'm just saying, you know, if you, the CFO has a different name than the C. Oh, you like to see different names. They had different. different no, they had names. different names, so you didn't connect it until oh, at yeah, the final. Yeah. That they're actually married. The the final the final straw. That's interesting. Yeah. It turned out, that, you know, that there's room for stock options and different favoritisms to the from the executive committee and the but composition committee. But it has to do with also with salaries, right? So if you want to make sure that the founders are well paid. Not too much, so they're too comfortable, but not too little that they quit. That's, I guess. That's a yeah. That's a. That's, those are always very tough deals. You know, the the best situations are when they're all in and they're all in, and they don't take a salary. 
Have but you heard any stories on, I'm sorry, going back to the husband and wife team, have you heard yeah. any stories of husband and wife teams where there was a divorce and it, and it failed, or is that just a, a wives' tale? I've, I've so heard those stories. I, I, don't, I haven't had a personal experience with it, but I've heard those stories. They are written up often. Oh, and, and, that's, and you factor that in as well. Have you, you've, never measured, you've never invested in a husband and wife team? No, I have not. Hmm. Interesting. So, so, I'm invested in a husband and wife team. How's it working out? So far, so good. So far, so good. They're right. both the marriage and the company. So we're, we're, we're keeping Does Lloyd's track. of London have, like, marriage insurance or something? something? Marriage counseling <laughs> insurance? Yeah. Well, I, I think... It's a little blue pills. I think it's, <laughs> I, I think it's risky. And if you're willing to take that risk, um, if you, you add up all the risks, that would be one of the risks. So there could be a bunch of other risks or a bunch of mitigating circumstances that would make you feel good about that risk. And, um, you know, so I, these are all judgment deals that everybody draws a different line someplace else. So I absolutely... Nick, Nick, tell us about some interesting investment you've done in the past, something maybe funny, something that you're looking back. I've heard you talk about a deal in mining or once you invested in a boat, <laughs> uh, one of those deals that are actually... Looking back, well, oh, everybody, everybody ought to invest in a gold mine once in a gold mine. Why, why is that? Are you it is so. You that it is it. so exciting to oh, be my. involved in a gold mine. And I was involved in a gold mine when gold went from, you know, fifty dollars an ounce to a hundred and fifty dollars an ounce. That was a while back. But we had a placer mine in uh, the Rabbit Hole district of uh, Nevada. And it's a really wonderful story because the plaster was about 150 feet thick, which plasters like sand, sand and gravel. You run it through a sluice, and you end up with gold through shaker tables and some extraction methods using chemicals. So anyway, we the, the people had hand sluiced this area for years, so you could make a living just with a little box and you know in a, in a bottle of water. They did with the old all the old days. Yeah, and so you're not that old though. The, the the director of mines for the state of Nevada had an old tungsten mill that he threw into the pile for an equity share, which now the the guy in the mine, you know, head of the mines in the Nevada, liked this deal enough that he jumped in. So then we had a guy who had uh, some heavy moving equipment from California. He was out of business. He was a contractor of some type, and so we got in all these heavy heavy equipment on the site to move the the plaster. And so then we had a series of lakes that we tried to put together. This was after a year or so, and we were just going nuts because we, you know, every time they did a little run, we'd get gold, and you know, we're getting, you know, I don't know, we're getting, you know, maybe a, a you know, something like, uh, you know, $20 a ton or something like that, which can really work out when you're moving. A ton is a cubic yard, basically. Of gold? No, a cubic yard of oh, plaster sure. within <laughs> turns into, <laughs> you know, if you, know, if you get ten, if you get $10 a ton, it's, you know, it's big, you know, so anyway, yeah. oh, I can't remember the I exact numbers. So anyway, the problem was no water. <laughs> and we had, the gold was there, the mill was there. The earth moving equipment was there, and there was no water. And oh, because you need water to extract. Yes, and there was a one well. We drilled another 40 wells and came up dry, and it was a sad, sad story. But every day it was great. We were going, we're not going to start drinking until noon. I mean, we're going to really play it straight after this, and we're going to, you know, we're going to really be careful with our money. We're not going to go crazy. Did you not have a job at this point? No, I was working, of course. Yeah. You oh, and so you'd, you'd pop by there at the end of the day. No, 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 no. I never moved. I never saw it. It was in Nevada. Okay. I was in Southern California. Okay. Anyway, it was a it was a great story because it was a lot of fun because we were talking about how wealthy we were going to get before we actually. Uh, <laughs> so how did you do? Like, how did the investment do? Oh, it, it disappeared. It disappeared. Oh, so oh, yeah. So we, one thing to learn is don't invest in gold mines. Well, I, I don't know. You know that's a lot of fun. You know, we had a lot of fun for a year and a half. You know, I and mean, it was really patting ourselves on the back, thinking how lucky we are and how much money we're going to make. So, yeah, it's kind of. And, and have you ever invested in anything related to boats? <laughs> yeah, we bought a. Um, there were these boats that the the Swift Ship Company, which made the PT boats uh, that uh, Kennedy was on yeah, okay. in in, uh, yeah. in in Vietnam and World War Two. They they were both places. 
Those uh, are the ones for the landings, for the Normandy landings? No, 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 no. no, no. Are These are smaller the, boats. So anyway, this company, which they did not want to fall into hands, the CIA suggested that some friends of mine buy the company to keep it from falling into the wrong kind of hands. So they made these uh, 105-foot crew boats that would service the oil rigs. So there was tremendous uh, way to You could finance them 100%. You could do a lot of things with them and... And they, the payback was like you know in fifteen minutes. It was, I'm sorry. Uh, so the, they were these PTO 109s were not that long. They're just like no, no, no. This but the same company that okay, made yeah. them. So this same. company made the big boats, and they this were buying these PTO 109s. They were making they're making these boats in Morgan City, Louisiana. What were they going to do with these things? These old well, no, they boats. service the oil rigs. They're big oh. boats. To, and they they had three, you know, three big engines in them, and they were very fast, and they'd zoom out to the and oil the PTO one oh nines were going to do that too. No, 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 it's, no, no. That's the same, just the same company. There was a okay. different model. What were they going to do with the PTO one oh nines? No, no. This was the, the swift boats in Vietnam. Yes, were the ones that oh, were John made Kerry by this made. company. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. Same yeah. company. So anyway, um, uh, that deal, the oil fell off the edge of the earth right after I got, took delivery on the boat. And so I was in a partnership with a number of guys, and we said, well, let's take it to the Panama Canal at great cost and take it over to Northern California up by uh, Santa Barbara. And so we were working for like one-third or one-quarter of what we had projected in our things, but we we survived. But it wasn't certainly a success story. The depreciation tax credits were good in those days. So just to, just to nail that down a little, how I won't get too far into it, but it was one boat, one boat, one yeah, well, a hundred and five foot crew boat. So that's yeah. a big boat, yeah. And it's aluminum hull. Oh. I got to drive it a few times. It was fun. So what, what happened to that investment? Well, Goose the boat again? was depreciated out over you know a period of time, and then it was sold for junk. You know, basically. They, so did you they, end up even even from that or now? Um, I, I'm even you know after taxes, probably ahead a little bit. Oh really? Yeah. So which one was more fun, the gold yeah. mine or the boat? The gold mine was the most fun. But you oh, lost oh. You lost, yeah. Yeah. lost everything, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes, so that's a good, that's a great point for angel investors. You could have a lot of fun, lose money, but not regret the deal. Sure, of course. So, so that makes angel investing itself uh, a lifestyle business in, in a certain manner. Yeah, that's exactly, that leads to the, I was going to ask you, if it's not a uh, very potent topic, are there any deals you got involved in where whether the whether the investment worked out or not, you ended up being a consultant, and you ended up getting some, you know, uh, living out of that or no? That's a, no. that's a bad topic in general. No, I I I've been very lucky in the fact that I'm in all four of our biggest deals at Boston Harbor Angels, it's our biggest rate of returns, and we have you know a few more in the quiver that that are looking good. But I'm I'm way ahead financially. But I most angels lose money because they don't invest enough, often enough, and they they invest in three deals and say, oh, this is no fun. I'm not making any money, and they quit. Or their wife will say, enough of those stupid deals, honey. <laughs> and so, or husbands. Yeah. 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 Of course. Or and, and because the because ideally you need to invest in more than ten deals, right? Yeah, I think there's, you know, if those are the right 10, then yes, 10's a good number. But if those are the wrong 10, then that's not enough. Then you need more. Yeah. <laughs> so so we, you and I heard a, a talk once where the guy, where the guy said um, you have to invest a million dollars, which to me makes no sense because it's the number, the number of investments you make, isn't it? Or how do you factor that? Well, I'm in, I'm in about 30 deals, maybe more. I can't remember exactly, and I've lost track of some of the ones that disappeared, but I'm in about 30 deals, and I've had four that are very successful. That's 10x or better. And I have another three or four that I think will be okay, and I have a bunch of them that are absolutely dead. I mean, they're gone, disappeared, like the dog like the dog show. And, um, <laughs> I mean, there's you know, they're all interesting, they're all fun, and they all could have made it. Um, Coulda, shoulda, woulda. But yeah. do you think you've evolved as an angel investor over, over? You've have you? Do you consider yourself a more experienced investor, or, or not? That you just are adding to your investment portfolio. Well, those are both the same thing. I think I'm adding my investment port- portfolio, and I think I'm a lot smarter than I used to be as far as angel investing. Uh, the and the the lessons I've learned through failures. 
have been pretty strong. Uh, we invested in a company out of San Francisco that uh, had a cure, or a, not a cure, but they had a, a diagnostic test for mad cow disease on, on cattle. And they had 600,000 tested in Germany. And we bought into the company thinking that this is a slam dunk. This is back when mad cow was a big deal. Yeah. You know, well, you can't tell until the cow dies whether it had mad cow or not. So they have to dissect the brain. Well, this was a blood test to determine that. So you didn't have to kill your whole herd to find out you yeah. don't have it. And so it, that's a you know that's a big winner. And so the guys though said, no, no, we're we're scientists and we are onto something here, and we are going to learn to diagnose cancer. Oh boy! So we had a couple of our investors almost sued them because this is mission creep because they said that you know we bought into this company as a commercial product that you are going to develop and finalize, and now you're off chasing other rainbows. And I was was in that probably 10 or 11 years ago I invested in that deal, and I just got round G or H or I or one of those rounds, you know, with the... And they were still raising money, and I just heard maybe a couple months ago they shut down finally. So you've gone from canine to bovine. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You don't have equine yet. Well, I had I had some pork the other night. Yeah, it was good. There you go. <laughs> so we have a company that does antimicrobial for for horses. For horses. There you go. There you go. There's yeah. your. You've got canine, equine, how many more dog, are there? pony, and cow. This and, is great. And how so, long do you? One yeah, last question yeah, yeah, for my turn okay. before I get. How many years do you usually give? A is this company? an interruption or are you actually? Well, no, I'm actually allowed to ask a formal question. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> my question. How many comedy. years? When you look at the company, and they all promise, we've seen it, yeah. we see hundreds of deals, and they all promise exits in three years, two years. Oh. Do you have a formula in mind that you say, you know, it's going to take seven years? <laughs> I, it's de- well, historically, our successes have all taken more than six, <clears throat> and so you don't know. I mean, some of them you have a good feeling about them, you know, going on. You know, Corbus went public at about year four or five. Carbonite went public about in year five or six. Um, I mean, you have pretty good feeling about you know them at a certain point in time. But I, th- I think you know, you know, you don't go into uh, into investing think it's going to take six years or ten years. You go and think it's going to be eighteen months or three years or four years. And then they never do, which is like... So what's more typical? Would you say sort of five, six years? Well, it's been my experience. Yes, successes have taken five or six years. So the ones that say two years... Yeah, you don't believe them. Yeah, you don't believe them. So when you see that it's a failure, at what point do you, do you really take it up back and shoot it? No, you don't. Well, that's a complicated question. They die kind of a lingering, maligned death. Do they die organically? You know, well, did they, you jump or, or, or did it get pushed? Um, you know, some some of the companies that I'm in still have not rang the death knell. Right. But um, and it gets very complicated to figure out when you're going to really cut them loose because the tax people have something to say about that, and Zia is setting up a place to park some of those shares. Uh, yeah, so you that's could, called the uh, dead pool. So dead pool. Dead pool. So you buy them for a dollar, so people can get the write off, and they set they sit yeah. in a bucket. So it's a secondary for yeah. Yeah, deals and to help members. So idea. Mike, do you really have any? Uh, do you really have any say in when they in in any of the companies you've invested in? Have you really ever had any say or, or taken charge of um, having yeah, them kick? I the would can? say yes, I have. Yeah. By not investing another dollar in them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, but I, I've heard you say I've heard you say that you tend not to do that second round anyway. Is that typically true? I, typically true. Um, you know, every rule is made to be broken. The carbonite. Don't bang on the carbonite. Table. I went in for three rounds. Oh uh, really? Oh. Yeah. Uh, Corbis, I exercised warrants, and that was yeah. those are kind of another round, another round of funding. Yeah. But basically, I'm one and done. And um, a lot of people say they can make a lot of money in those secondary rounds because there's a cram down. And if the company does come out of it, you can make some money in that situation. Well, how do you feel about, again, the same person who suggested that you need to invest a million dollars before you can start making any money as an angel investor, his view or the view of the group he's with was that you invest in the first round simply for information rights 
just to get information. And that the real action is in the second and third rounds, or at least the second round on the ones that you're now in on and can follow with a sizable investment. You don't buy, you don't buy that. No, I, I think that if you're looking at a series, you're anticipating a series of rounds, that's not my kind of deal. I'd like to get them to an inflection point with my dollar, and if not my first dollar, my second dollar, yeah. uh, which I don't like to put in. Because what I'm doing is I'd like to get another bet on the table because I'm seeing another exciting opportunity where this one has already proved it's not really exciting. Have you ever not put in money on the second round and wished you had, or typically does this formula work for you? Um, I don't know yet because some are still out there, but uh, I would say I, I never have missed a deal in Boston Harbor Angels that you because I, cause I've been in every one of the, 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 the good ones. There's some kissing your sister stuff that was going on that uh, where you get a one or two times or you get your money back. <clears throat> but I haven't missed a big one yet. It's not because I'm real smart or know anything or because I'm leading the group. It's just just the way it's worked. So here's something that interests me. So a company exit, this is not really a failure. This could be a failure. They go public, and now the question is, when do you sell your shares? And that is some, that's a good problem to have, but the shares go up, they go down, people get scared. Um, what's your personal philosophy? Well, I'm, I don't like to sell anything. Because <laughs> yeah. then you've got to pay taxes. And so, anyway, uh, I was very lucky. I just sold some carbonite that uh, I had not sold any carbonite, other than I took my money out on the IPO. So I had nothing invested, which means I have an infinite return because I had nothing invested and I've gotten a substantial return. So you took but your initial investment out? At the IPO. At right. the IPO. Yeah. And, so and then you, you watched it go up and down? Was it? It came out at 10, went to 20. I was locked in. I couldn't. I would have sold at 20. Uh, a lot of our guys sold at 10. They liked 10. 10 was a great deal. That was a, that was a 10 or 11 What did you guys go in at 60 cents? Uh, you know, I, we invested in a couple of rounds, so yeah, I can't yeah, right, remember right, exactly. Right. Okay. So anyway, uh, and it gets it gets complicated to yes. figure out what you're in at. Other than Corbus was pretty clean because we went into a uh, that was a reverse merger, which are usually the kiss of death. But in that case, it was a great situation. Um, so um, I guess w what I'm saying is, is, is carbonite uh, was languishing in six, seven, you know, five. And it came out, at, you know, came out at ten, and I'm yeah. going. Wait a second. So I held on and held on until this year, when I sold it at twenty three thirty. How many years did you yeah. have? That's, uh, it was it was probably that ten two thousand nine. So it's yeah. eight years. Yeah. Eight years not selling. Wow. So, so we're talking a lot about success. I'll, I'll get a couple of my questions in. Yeah, yeah. Isn't this thing about failure? failure. Yeah. This thing is about failure. Oh, yeah, Although, I, you know, I think yeah. for anybody listening who's unaware of sort of angel investing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's an interesting sidebar. Yeah. One thing I would note uh, that as an angel investor of some standing, you see a lot of deals, as you've said, per year. At a certain point, there's pattern detection that must occur. Um, so the question is, can you smell failure at the onset? And obviously, the remedy is you don't put a dollar in, as you've said. Uh, but when do you when do you know it's failing? What are the signs? Can you talk about a specific company, maybe not by name, but by inference, like you did Facebook for dogs? But you know, if, if you're, how do you recognize failure? When do you know it failed? And what do you do? You know, give me sort of like a use case. Well, I'm. I'm trying to think of something that, like I said, I'm usually one and done. Right. So I don't follow them much after that, and I look at you know, look at them and kind of uh, weigh with them. But usually, once they're if they're floundering, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time thinking about right. them or worrying about them or investing in them. Um, we invested in a company called uh, Nano C that is still out there that uh, makes. Um, Fullerenes, buckyballs, C60, C80. Mm -hmm. I happen to know a whole lot about that, unfortunately. 
And I bought into the company because they had a, a, a wonderful method of, it was flame-driven, making these, which are very hard to make. It was very hard to find or make these. Kind of interesting story. A guy named Smalley from Rice University described it perfectly, told you exactly, and it's a spherical, looks like a geodesic dome. It's a, a 60 uh, atom molecule. And not to get too technical, but every element in the periodic table could fit inside of it, and it's the lightest, strongest form of carbon, stronger than diamonds, graphite. And so this is, obviously, this is going to be the next thing. Your tennis racket, your bicycle, everything's going to be made with fullerenes. And so there was no commercial application for them, but I loved the way they could make them. I watched them, and I knew a lot about them, and so I watched them make them, and I'm going, wow, whoopee, this is great. No commercial application, just research quantities sold off to scientists around the world. So it's a science project. <laughs> Real science project. Real. And it's still, they, they, I just got a note from the other day saying, hey, we, we're looking forward to, you know, selling something to somebody and whoopee. I've been diluted so far down that, you know, I have nothing left, nothing to care about. And maybe it'll work out at some point in time, but I think I might go right into the dead pool with these, you know, so, uh, Zia, Zia's I, talking about. I like the notion of the Deadpool company. That's the failure <laughs> yeah, company. It yeah. was a movie. No, well, well, yeah, yeah, it was awful. Awesome. Yeah, you never know. Made a lot of money, though. Yeah, something could pop if you. Something it's like the, it's like one of those trunks. What do you buy the? Uh, Can the, I buy, buy them the back if they get really good? Though. Yeah, well, that's the problem with the Deadpool. You're, there's a risk that members would be upset if one hits after you buy it for a dollar. It's like a storage locker, though, isn't it? Investing in a storage locker. Yeah, right. closed one, and then you, yeah. you don't know what's in it, and you just buy it. Yeah, you buy it. It's more a happens. service than an investment. Yeah. So yeah. it's 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 it's. Uh, you can't say I really didn't mean it until I, I take yeah, it back. Exactly. <laughs> just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and then so so when you so in your experience, so you've seen I've calculated a thousand companies now in screen. More. More. Really. Okay. And. Do you ever get bored? And and uh, this is a sort of a question. I know the answer because I work with you. But do you ever get bored watching a pitch after more than a thousand? Of course. <laughs> there are good storytellers. There's bad storytellers. So it's all about the storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. The guy can if the if the CEO guy woman whatever. Uh, tells a good story, I'm enthralled. Whether it, I'm going to invest in it or not, I love the story and I love to learn. And I talk about Boston Harbor Angels, we put the fun in funding and we want both entertainment, we want uh, education, and we want investability. And we'll take two out of three if we can't find all three. Uh, because I think people do learn and I can't predict what's going to get hot at our meetings. You know, you, you look at the company, you say, nobody will, nobody's going to invest in that one. And this month I said, geez, nobody's going to invest that one. They had seven or nine names signed up for it. So you never know, and you never know who's in the room who has some intimate knowledge like I did of Buckyballs and uh, invest in it. And I don't, you know, I was, I went to do due diligence with Raffaele Santoro, and Raffaele and I went and I invested, and then, you know, Months later, I said, Raphael, you know, when are you thinking about nanos? He says, well, I didn't invest. I said, Jesus, you didn't tell me you were going to invest. <laughs> he says, I didn't like the CEO that well. All right, well, I didn't either, but I loved the, it was a, I loved the, the concept. It was such a exciting. So you, it's not like, so you'd never invest in, you don't <coughs> invest in failure. You're not investing in companies you know are going to fail, right? Otherwise, well, I mean, well, that would be obvious, you know, of course. Yeah, I don't want to invest in something to fail. I'm, I, I, I do get involved in charities, and I do my charity work in other places where the dollar's going to help somebody. I'm not going to get a return on so it. So shouldn't every failure be a surprise? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you, you would hope so. How quickly do you learn? So you had the one case where you – so, again, you're not going to invest in failures, knowingly invest in failures. You are definitely going to That would be, like, stupid, right? Right. Okay, so <laughs> some are going to – so you, there is a measure of the likelihood of success, which is you'll say, boy, this, this company is unlikely to succeed. But if they do succeed, they are going to be worth a gazillion dollars. I like those bets, yeah. How often do you see something like that, and how have those done for you? Well, 
you know very well, Redigi. <laughs> that's still that's TBD. The, yeah, that's it. Yeah, t- t- yeah, TV determined. Yeah. And, that could um, be the biggest company. Yeah, well, nobody knows. But they won't make this podcast. But I, I knew it was risky. I knew it was a high-risk deal, but I really thought it was high rewards, and I thought we were off to the races. Was that common? Have you seen a lot of those in the last 10 years? No, not where they're really disruptive. Um, you know, we think Wasabi could be in that category. We're, right. And, you know, David says, you know, I'm exiting for a billion, so that's good. I like that. We're in at 10 or something like that, which is high for us. But Okay, so most of them are not those. Most of the ones, investments you've made, again, you don't invest in ones you know are going to fail. That's that's ridiculous. Um, there are some you've invested in where you thought the likelihood of success is low, but the return is going to be high. So most of them are good sort of uh, doubles or triples. You're, you're investing in doubles or well, triples. Well, no, I think if we can't see a 10x on the front end, I'm not going to invest in it. Okay, that's now, there's other people that say it's got to be a 30x, you know. Yeah. And uh, I don't see a lot of ones that I could see 30x, and we see some that are many or few that we can get see a 10x. So you had the one that failed the day you put your money in when the, when the, when the CEO took off. Right. Well, okay. it took a little longer to die than that because one of the investors was an attorney, and he thought he could run the company. And, you know, yeah. and it's so you said another, don't, don't quit your day job. That's uh, another long. But you couldn't have gotten your money back. No. Uh-uh. So how long? Uh, do you have a sense? If you had to guess how long out, if the ones that succeed don't succeed till five or six years, is there sort of an early spot point in time where you say, "Oh boy, I'm two years into this and it's going nowhere." Yeah, but I'm he pretty- already said he won't. He won't put more money in. So yeah. So I mean, I don't really if. if if I think there's a good chance, like a Redigi, for example, I'd probably put some more money in Redigi because I think it's good. So is every successful, you know, it's weird. I mean, maybe this is just game playing, but is every, if, if, you only, if you're only investing in ones that you think are going to succeed, you never invest in failure, <laughs> is every failure a surprise or is every success a surprise? They're both surprising. That's a great question. <laughs> it is. So what's the answer to that one? Well, they, they, when they invest in companies that... As a CEO or a founder that's done it six times, well, yeah, that, that's yeah. less a surprise than a brand new founder that's just started. Right. I think what happens is is that those guys typically don't need us uh, as angel investors. They have a stable of happy investors who've been with them for some period of time. Uh, like a David Friend, I mean, he has a series of investors that invested with him five times. And, and they've been successful with him. And uh, so, you know, again, that's that's pretty easy to do. But like I said, he didn't come begging for Boston Harbor Angels money. We begged him to let us in the deal. Hmm. So it's a little different kind of story. It's great leverage to have. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we went along for the ride at Carbonite when there was a lot more risk involved. Right. There were a number of companies doing backup, and uh, as there still are, but... Carbonite is the one that has the best name. Mosey sold out for, I think, $70 million to EMC, which was kind of a, they were about where we were. Mm-hmm. And David said that was stupid. I mean, why'd they sell it? Yeah, it's $70 million. Have you ever invested outside the U.S.? Yes. Do you I'm, like to be close to your deals? Uh, I don't have, I don't, if I don't have to be close to my deals, I want to have somebody I know close to my deals. So, uh, but I've invested in San Francisco, Chicago, and even as far as Canada, as Esite is a Canadian company, which is made this year. It made one of the technologies of the year, whatever. Yeah, it, is. it was in Time Magazine top twenty-five best innovations. Yeah, that's uh, you needed to be top twenty-five companies. <laughs> we want to be in the top twenty-five exits. Yeah, exits, yeah. <laughs> exits are important. Yeah. So, but it's great publicity, and it's and it's a great. I mean. We're in some very exciting situations that I pinch myself and say, you know, Capital Records sues us. I mean, that's a big deal, and we, we're in the appeal courts. I mean, that's, that's something that's So can a deal. company be too disruptive to the point where it gets sued by the industry? And, and is that that's the discussion about Redigi? It was so disruptive that it attracted too much attention? I, I, I don't think I can sum it up that way. But 
uh, David would maybe be better at summing that up. David oh, is a yeah, lawyer. Can't talk about it. that one. Can't yeah. talk Go ahead, Mark. You had something. So no, here, uh, you know, we're coming up on our hour. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to, you know, for how the time up, flies we, when you're having fun. You know, it's, it's, just, it's fun to talk about failure. So you know, I, when I, we couldn't get too many failures. Though. <laughs> no. Well, no. so I, well, the majority I, of them are failures. Well, yeah, but it sounds like Mick, are they? Mick has described a, a technique to prevent a lot of failure or have a backstop, which is the number of times he writes a check in a deal, <laughs> which I think is interesting. How do you prevent failure? You don't write a check. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Pattern detection to me is important when you look at a, a CEO uh, or a presentation by a first-time CEO. Are there any tips? To prevent a failure, that you know, any of the folks here, I know you've dispensed uh, tips to other startup CEOs in the past. Well, I think you know how many people are there out there that can throw a ninety mile an hour fastball. There's just not a lot of them out there anywhere. Right. There's just not a lot of great CEOs out there, and I really believe that they are born, not made. I don't think you can teach somebody. You could teach somebody to be a good administrator, to be this, this, and this, but you, there's something about the leadership and drive and whatever that's inside in somebody's heart that you can't really make. And so you can see them. Like when you're watching your kids playing soccer on the field, it's a couple of kids that are like in a different world. They're just playing at a different level than everybody else. My kids were always the ones wandering around and picking flowers and stuff, you know. But <laughs> yeah. sorry, kids. <laughs> um, I never played. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I think that they're very rare, and and it's not unusual they'd be rare because everything in life, the best are rare, or else they wouldn't be the best. So I think that, do it. yeah. So if, right. if I, I like I said, you can pick them out of a room. You know, you see when a CEO comes in, and he has something going on. Um, you can see so it. you're okay. I'm sorry, interrupting. So this comes back to the CEO is the the CEO is the most important variable or determinant for you. Well, I think that is certainly very very important. Can you always find them? You can't find them at all. Well, but so, you hear traditionally here. I mean, not traditionally. One one as one enters this business, you hear. Well, it's, is there a market? Is how big is the market? You know, luck's always a factor. Um, but you're really coming, and the CEO is always a factor, but you keep coming, seem to be coming back to the CEO. And I'm wondering if maybe what you're saying is a good CEO is not just a good leader and somebody who can raise money and find and do the, all the right pivots, but the good CEO actually factors in, if you will, or takes into account market size and all those things. So the, the right CEO uh, can really not only bring the money in, but direct the ship in the direction but of the money. I think he's talking about the X factor, you know, not to quote a TV what's show. The X factor? I'm sorry, well, there's so something, you know, he's saying. Scully and what's her face? No, no, and no, 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 You can't really test for it. It's not necessarily intelligence. It's not, you know, I mean, there's really not, you know, all things come into play, but there's something about somebody, and uh, it's part of its charisma, part of its, you know, feeling the market smelling an opportunity why is that running more important than, than IP, than market size and all those other things? Can't you always throw out the CEO? Can't you always what? I'm throw, sorry. I'm sorry, throw out the CEO. You can and we have, you know. But finding, finding them is hard. Good CEOs are not looking for jobs. They're all busy right now. And so it's very, somebody has to be really dedicated to jump ship, like the guy at Astrocytes, for example, I think he's a good example of a very well ensconced in a corporate yeah, malaise. Founder, our friend at Astrocytes Pharmaceutical, no. plug. No. Yeah. But I think that the also a team is very important. If you have a good team, solid team, they can make up for the. And that's why I teach in my classes that I, when I teach, is I talk about having. If, if you don't, if you're not the guy. Find somebody who is the guy for whatever the position is, whether it's a CFO or a CTO or the CEO. Find people, those who can get together with them and, and hook on to them if you don't have it. If you have it, then people will be looking for you. Hmm. Um, because teams are good. But if you take somebody out of a team, and we see it all the time where somebody leaves a company and goes to run another company in a different business or goes to start a company, it's usually disaster. Follow on a related question. Have you ever seen a great CEO with a lousy 
company, lousy product, lousy market? Or does a good CEO always gravitate to the right company, right product, right market? You don't generally have enough time to really analyze that or see that because you can't, you know, if you look at the company sees running and say that's a bad idea, you know, you would try to help them say get out of that and let's get doing something more fun. But I don't see that that often. I mean, it's, I'm not in a position where I see that. Okay. What, what is, what is, what's that signal? I saw that pointing at a watch. Yeah, what does that mean? Dark well, outside. We're, we're trying to keep it to an hour so that the three listeners but when we get that the, we have. When we get the stuff we can actually use out of this, it'll probably be like 10 minutes. 10 no, minutes. No, of no, good no, stuff. I'm kidding. But if I cut off all the coughing well, and well, you don't car know alarms that went off. It could be a crappy recording. We don't know. Well, Mick, thank you very much for joining our podcast. Yeah. We were able to get out of you three failures. Well, uh, oh, we got a lot out of them. Yeah, it, it was, was very good. It was very good. A lot of wisdom. And, uh, we it's very nice. Thank you. It's, very, it's an honor to be among this uh, group. <laughs> oh, thank you very much for having me. Thank you.